Today, we are going to be taking a look at part three of our series called Launch. We're taking a look at the very beginnings of the church, the church that Jesus established when he told the disciples to go into Jerusalem and to wait until they are empowered from on high till the Holy Spirit would come. And so a couple of weeks ago, we took a look at that first um, outpouring of the Holy Spirit when the day of Pentecost had come in Acts chapter 2. And uh, last week we looked at the boldness that was given to the disciples and to us as we pursue the Lord and follow Him. And uh, today we're going to be taking a look at some of the words that Peter um, shared. Now, Peter so far has been that lead pioneer in the beginnings of the church. He's been the leading voice. He's the one who stood up on the day of Pentecost and explained what was happening. Um, he was the one at, at his preaching that 3,000 people were added to the church. He was the one last week who was walking into the temple and there was a guy who was begging for money or food and he said, silver or gold I don't have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. You see, Peter had been one who walked closely with Jesus when Jesus was walking on this earth. And though he had times when he stumbled, here he rises up as a pioneer leader amongst the uh, people who were coming to faith. And so we, we're going to take just a little pause from the book of Acts today, and we're going to take a look at some of the things that Peter had to say. And so if you will turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter, and we're looking at chapter 2, and here we're going to find um, Peter's... Um, message about how things are made new, how things are made new as you become a follower of Christ, as you are added to the church, what are some things that are new? Now, have you ever been playing a game, uh, maybe a sport or activity with someone who's clearly better than you, who always wins and you keep trying to win, but it's just never working out? Um, I, I can think of times when I've come in contact with someone who can play uh, ping pong table tennis uh, better than me. And you know, I'm trying to beat them and I, it's just fruitless. There's no way I'm ever gonna beat that person. Uh, maybe you've come in contact with someone who's better than you. And so you suggest, let's play a different game. Let's play something different. Um, my friend Christian, uh, he is a, a much better basketball player than me, and we've not done much one-on-one -on -one because I plainly know that I am no match for Christian on the basketball court. And so, um, it, the times, few times we've played, um, you know, I've got to suggest that we go play something different. Hey, Christian, let's go out to the golf course. Let's go out and uh, play my game, something I'm good at. Um, well, keep that thought in mind because. There is a new game that we are engaged in once we come to Christ. You see, the things that were difficult, the things that we found ourselves losing in, losing in the game of life in, um, are changed as we come to Christ in some ways, in some aspects of things. And part of it is because the game has changed. It's a new game. It's a new focus. It's a new purpose for which we live. And so we're going to find that um, kind of unfold in these 10 verses we're going to look at in 1 Peter chapter 2, the first 10 verses. Um, the first thing we're going to take a look at is that there's a new script. 
There's a new script that is written for those who are in Christ. Um, First two verses say this. um, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babies desire pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Here we find um, this description of the way of life before Christ and this new desire, this new focus, this new determination inside of the heart of the person who's come to Christ. You see, before it was uh, malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and evil speaking. And after this new script, this new focus, this discovery of Christ, it turns into us longing for the Word of God, the pure milk, the the new sustenance. We were living on envy and strife and malice, and now we're living on something different, a desire for the Word of God. You see, as we come to Christ, destiny is changed. Our course is changed. The the way we were going is changed. It's a new storyline. It's it's even a bit of a Ricochet. Uh, you know what I'm talking about when something's flying in one direction and it hits something really hard and it ricochets the other direction. Um, this happened just a few weeks ago. Uh, we were sitting at a picnic table with uh, the kids and with my mother-in-law, Ruby. And if you can kind of get the position here, um, Allie is sitting right next to Ruby and across from Allie is Luke. And Luke and Allie across the table are kind of bickering with each other and teasing each other over the card game that's being played. And all of a sudden, Allie decides to take this half full water bottle and without giving any warning, hucks it at Luke, just throws it across the table right at him, right at his face. No regard to anything except for hitting Luke in the face with a water bottle. Well, Luke had this immediate reaction, probably because he's been around Allie before, that he immediately gets his hand up in the air and that bottle flies directly out of Allie's hand into Luke's hand and right back into Ruby's face, who was completely unsuspecting that any of this was gonna happen. A ricochet, the bottle was heading straight for Luke and it ends up in Ruby's face. That's kind of a picture of what takes place for those of us who discover Christ. There is a new direction. There is something new, a new focus, a new passion, a new destiny, a new storyline is written. The things that we were engaged in before have a tendency to start to peel off, become of little interest because of this desire for God begins to grow. There's a changed passion, a changed focus. New interests begin to take hold in our lives. But you know what? A new script can be jarring. A a new direction can be as jarring as a ricochet as a, a water bottle flying in this direction and it lands in a total different place. And it can be just as jarring when things in our lives are starting to change. The people around us are looking at us going, what's the difference here? Why, why are you no longer interested in, in going out with me like you used to? Why, why are all of a sudden are your friendships changing? Why all of a sudden are things looking different in your life? It can be jarring. And you know, sometimes things don't 
change too quickly either. Sometimes those changes that God is beginning to make in us, we begin to resist because some of those things are things we used to enjoy doing. Some of these things were, were stuff that came naturally to us. And so it takes some time. You probably know what I'm talking about. The life change that God brings into us sometimes takes some time. It takes time for the Lord to reveal some of these things that he wants changed in our lives. And so we find that there's a new script written. But we, as we take a look here at the words that Peter shared, we're also going to find that there is a new roles assigned. And not only is the script written, not only is there change taking place within us, but we find that some of the things that we are doing, the roles that we play, the opportunities we engage in, the job or set of such that we decide to take on is adjusted in change. What's a role? What's a role for you and I to be involved in just in life? Well, a role is, is a new assignment. A role is a new um, opportunity. Um, for a lot of us, a, a new role can be exciting, maybe a, a new job, um, a new thing to be going to every day, um, a new assignment in life. It can be scary. Um, it can be a commitment, which can be kind of difficult for us to make. Um, a new role, a new commitment. Um, one thing about a role is it's clarifying. It, it tells us what we're to be doing, what direction we're to be heading, where our focus ought to be. And so sometimes the new role can be a really positive thing. And we find here Peter starting to talk about, here's some new things for us to be doing. Here's a new job for you as a believer in Christ. Let's read verse 4. Coming to him as to a living stone, coming to Christ as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Verse 7, therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which, to which they also were appointed. So we find here in this portion of scripture some roles, some jobs, some new opportunities um, are identified and given to us. And one of the roles here that we find is being a living stone. So we identify with Christ, who's the chief cornerstone. I want you to think about a building for a moment. I want you to think about what comes to your mind when you come to a place and there's a building, there's a house there. Well, what, what comes to your mind is, is that there is life there's something going on here. There has, there's a history here. There is a story here. Someone lives there. Someone has lived there. Um, you pull up to a place and you realize that someone's taking care of the place or not taking care of the place. Um, you realize that there's life there. And here we find that Jesus describes him, himself as the chief cornerstone of this building, this place where life happens.
happens, where people do things. And here, we are also identifying with Christ as living stones in this spiritual house. The spiritual house that the Lord is establishing here upon the earth. His kingdom is come. His kingdom is coming. His kingdom invades the lives of those who are living with a destiny of death and destruction. And this new house, this spiritual house is being built. And people are finding life in that house. A place where people dwell. A place where life happens. And here, this house that we get to be a part of, this spiritual house the Lord is building, is a place where eternal life is discovered and lived out. God's people become the evidence, even a source to discover life. Um, You and I become these living stones, this place where people can discover eternal life. And you and I play that part. It's one of the opportunities we have in Christ. This is the church being built. This is why we are looking at this, because we're talking about the launch of the church, and you and I are identified as living stones in that church, a place for people to find life. We also find identified in this passage here that we are to offer spiritual sacrifices. Spiritual sacrifices is one of our roles in the kingdom of God. What's a spiritual sacrifice? It's an act of worship. It's an act of coming. You see, the Lord had established this sacrifice system where people would um, you know, bring their sacrificial animals as an offering, as an offering of praise, as an offering of repentance, um, as an offering to the Lord saying, you are first. All of these different sacrifices were established. And here we have the role of two offering spiritual sacrifices. We do this, um, you know, through some of those obvious ways, such as singing together our worship to God, or as we come and bring our offerings to the Lord, we bring our tithes to God and say, God, you've got the first 10% of our life. These are spiritual sacrifices. But it also happens as we walk through our day and we see someone in need and we invest of our time and we uh, love people into the kingdom of God. These are spiritual sacrifices that we make. Um, We might decide we're going to go and um, you know, listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit to go on a mission trip, uh, to go across the street and talk to our neighbor, to uh, volunteer in the youth group. Uh, so all these things are spiritual sacrifices that you and I have the opportunity to make. And they're costly. These spiritual sacrifices are costly, but they're your opportunity to invest in. And also we find here that we have the job of believing. We find here in uh, verse 6 where it says that we are those who believe on him. And therefore, in verse 7, to you who believe he is precious, but to those who do not believe or are disobedient, the Lord is a... um, um, 
they reject God. And, and yet you and I have got the opportunity to be believers. One of our roles, one of our jobs is to believe. And when we believe, we take on an altered perspective. We take on a perspective on life. We take on a, a different kind of worldview. We start to see things differently. And why is that? Because we as believers begin to see things from an eternal perspective and not merely an earthly or temporary perspective. We are changed and Jesus becomes precious to us as believers, but he's offensive. He's offensive to the disobedient. He's offensive to the non-believer. You start to talk about life of sacrifice. You start talking about life of love. You talk about um, life that's lived differently in accordance with God's word. That stuff is offensive because it exposes selfishness. It exposes self-desire. It exposes this rudeness that we walked in so easily before we were believers. It becomes offensive. Have you ever wondered why you seem to see things so differently than everybody on the news, than everybody in TV, than all these athletes who are, you know, virtue signaling all of their thoughts? Have you ever wondered why you have a tendency to see things differently than what's being proclaimed? It's because you were looking through the lens of eternal life. You were looking through a lens that's different and you can't help it because Jesus Christ is precious to you and yet he's offensive to those who do not believe. So we take on this role of being a believer. It's just a role. It's something that we do. We believe and we see things differently. And so we find here that, that Peter's identifying a new script, a new destiny. We find that he is identifying a new role for us with all of these different statements about what we ought to do. But there's something that's even more significant than those two things. And that is that in Christ, we receive a new identity. We receive a new identity in Christ. Who we are is changed. So let's keep reading verses 9 and 10 say this, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. We find here some awesome new identity that we take on as followers of Christ. Um, the first one we find here is you are a chosen generation. And what this is referencing is a time frame in history. You see generations take up time slots throughout history. One generation has this time slot. The next generation has this time slot. And we take up a time slot. And here he says that you are a chosen group of people in this time frame. I am choosing you now to know Christ. I'm choosing you now to be my heralds for this time in history. You're a chosen generation. And here we find this declaration about those who follow Christ that we are a chosen generation, a chosen time frame. You are here for such a time as this. You know what? Sometimes you might look back on some uh, past era, some past generation and go, man, boy, I sure would. There's so many neat things that that would have been neat to be a part of. 
Friends, if you had lived back then, if you had lived in some iconic time frame that, that you think that would be so nostalgic and so cool to live in, there was a whole lot of problems then too. And you think, oh, it would have been so much better if I lived back in that time. It probably wouldn't have been. But here's what you need to take uh, uh, the mindset of is that the Lord has placed you here for such a time as this. There is no better time in history for you to have lived than now because the Lord has called you to this time. You are a chosen generation. What are you going to do with it? It's your new identity. Also, he says that you are a royal priesthood. Um, this, this is kind of a, a big statement because the priesthood um, is talking about one who has a direct connection to God. Now, of course, we in our church, we believe that all of us who are in Christ have a direct connection to God. We don't have to go through another person to have a prayer answered. We don't have to go to another person to have our sins forgiven. We don't need to confess to this priest or this spiritual leader for our sins to be dealt with. No, when Jesus died, he opened up the door for a direct relationship with him. And that's why he says, in Christ you are a royal priesthood. You've got a direct connection, just as if you were the son of the king, in which you are. You are the son of the king of kings in Christ Jesus. Because you have accepted what he did for you, you immediately went from stranger, from outcast, from sinner, to son of the king with a direct line of communication. You are royal priesthood. He says, you are a holy nation. What he means there, that word holy means set apart. That which is set apart for noble, holy things. And you are a holy nation, a set apart nation. Um, you are going to see things differently. You are set apart. Then he says this. He talks about this in our identity. You are his own special people. It means you're on God's team. You are in God's in crowd, connected and known. His own special people. And then he says, you are the people of God. Not only his own people, but you are a people of God added to the in-group. Added to a group. He says, once you were not a people. That's an interesting thought. Have you ever felt like you were not one of the people? That you were not one of the crowd, that you were not accepted, that you were on the outside looking in? Have you ever felt that way in any setting before? But have you ever walked into a setting where you are known and loved and accepted? You are one that everybody knows your name and not only knows your name, but they know what you like. They know what you're into. They know the, the things about you. They know your sense of humor. You are in the crowd. You are in people. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Before you were a loner, but now you are on the inside. Out, you are on the inside. You don't need to be on the outside looking in. You're on the inside. Before you were unprotected, but now in the people of God, you are protected. Here's another thing. He says that you are an obtainer of mercy. An obtain. That's a. That's a, a statement, an identity that makes you go, whoo, 
an obtainer of mercy because when you did not have mercy, when you did not have grace, when you were living on your own merits before God, you were as good as dead. But you obtained mercy when the blood of Jesus Christ was applied to your life. It's, it's a, a what a relief moment to realize that you are an obtainer of mercy. Have you ever slipped a near tragedy? Have you ever had something where it was a close call? If, if you were just, uh, you know, off by just a, a foot, you would have been as good as dead. I like to ride motorcycles. There's been times when I've been riding my motorcycle and someone kind of veers a little close to the center line and you're like, what's going to happen here? Is that guy coming all the way over? Is he on a cell phone? Did he fall asleep? And go past him and you go, that was a close call. That was a close call. Have you ever been looking over an edge of a cliff and your foot slipped a little bit and you get back as quick as you can and your heart's racing and you go, man, that could have went the other direction really quick. An obtainer of mercy. We've experienced those kind of moments, but friend, I want for you to understand that when it comes to heaven and hell, to be one who's called an obtainer of mercy is a game changer. It's everything. It's your new identity. All of this new identity does a few things for us. It binds us together. It binds us together regardless of cultural differences. Um, Cross-cultural differences is interesting. I don't know if you've been in a different culture, in a different country, in a different language group, amongst people that look differently than you and think differently than you. I don't know if you've ever been in a setting like that and then you come across another believer in Christ. Someone from that culture, someone from that country, someone from that language group, yet they know Jesus. And all of a sudden, those other barriers that you were feeling and experience seem to just disappear because there's a kinship between those who know Christ, those who are in the body of Christ together. I've been in several cultures. I've been in the Philippines, Malaysia, Mexico, Nicaragua, El Salvador, the Czech Republic, um, all of these different settings. I've had a chance to come in contact with those who know Christ. I've been in their church context. I've been worshiping God next to them. I've had a chance to preach in some of those things and they're, and they're preaching and interpreting the message I give, but they're doing it in a different language. But one thing that's crazy I've experienced in every single one of those settings is this special kinship relationship. It's like everything that's different about us seems to go away in the midst of our connection in Christ. And you see, when we know Christ we, and this new identity is established, everything changes about us. It equips us to love people who are different. That's one thing that this new identity gives us is this ability to love people across cultural lines, people who are different. All of a sudden, we're not focused on winning. We're not focused on comparing. We're not com focused on being competitive, but rather we're focused on loving, loving people into the kingdom of God and loving our brothers, sisters in Christ. That becomes our focus in Christ. Um, I was listening to a message um, by Tim Keller. He's a, a pastor of a Presbyterian church in New York, and I love to listen to him. He's a great teacher. And he was talking about the church. He was talking in this message about the church and this new identity that we have in Christ. And he talked about the identity factor. 
Apart from Christ, there's this identity factor that's based on a sense of self and a sense of worth. Those are two things that kind of help us figure out our identity. What's my self? What, how do I look? How do I appear? Um, uh, what makes me who I am? And then also this sense of worth. Both of those work together to kind of build your identity. And this is always factored into our hearts as compared to other people. We, we, I, we, we come up with our identity or we sense our identity in comparison to how we think we stack up to other people. This is what establishes our identity. Comparatively, superiority to the different is what we look for when trying to establish our identity and figure out where we stand. And you know what? The law, the law of God can become this dividing wall for people. And the law of God is intended to um, reveal our sin. It, you know, we, God gave us the law. He gave us the Ten Commandments and all the rest of the stipulations on how to do life as a holy nation, as the people of Israel. They said, here's how you are to live differently. And so we, we were given all these laws to help them identify their sin. But what ends up happening is our sin nature will take all of those laws and all of those rules to live by. And we begin to compare and use them as a way to compare ourselves to other people. We look at where we're doing well with all of these laws and how we're stacking up in life so much better and we use it to compare to those who aren't doing a good job, those who have their own deficiencies. And we use it as a way to establish our, ident our identity, especially in regard to our superiority to others. It's kind of funny that the things that divide us are the things that we think we're good at, the things that we think we're doing well at. That is what separates us out from other people. We take our view, our virtues, our skills, the things that we count as more important and valuable, and we take a look and we compare those to the people around us. This is the plight of the human heart. But let us be reminded that even in our newfound identity in Christ, that Peter starts this scripture that we looked at in this way. You see, we can, we can you know, sit here and we can say, oh, I'm better than so-and-so at this, or I've got this law of God firmly established in my life. I'm a giver. I'm a, I'm a one who volunteers and sacrifices and all of these things. And we can look at ourselves virtuous, virtuously and look at someone else and they're like, oh, they're not doing it like I'm doing it. They're not giving as much. They're not sacrificing as much. Uh, they seem to have this problem with this sin, sin issue in our life and we are blinded to our own issues our own deficiencies, our own de defectiveness. But Peter starts the scripture this way. He says, laying aside all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all evil speaking. Instead, go after pure spiritual milk. You know, he needed to remind the followers of Jesus Christ. He needed to remind those who he's writing this letter to, to lay aside malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy. He needed to remind them that that is not the way we ought to go because it's so easy for us to default back to that. It's so easy for us in our humanity, even as Christ followers, to revolt back to this way of thinking in life and comparing. Friends, it ought not to be. I want to remind you of that game, that 
um, you are playing that you are deficient in compared to someone else. I, I cited ping pong and basketball. Maybe in your mind, you've got some other thing that you've played someone and you just cannot win in. You just cannot find victory in. And so you want to play a different game, one that you are good at. And you see, when I take a look at life and I take a look at some of these issues and who we are in Christ and as we are being changed into the people of God and we start to think more like Him, what we need to realize is that we are given a new opportunity to play a different game. When we are followers of Christ, we do not need to play the game of comparison. We don't need to play uh, the game of finding our identity in if we're better than somebody else. We need to realize that we're playing a game that is based in love and pursuing Christ. And as we pursue Christ and we love others while we're doing it, all of a sudden you realize that you're comparing and you're winning and um, your identity based in uh, how good you look or in how well you do at things seems to dissipate because you've been given an opportunity to play a different game. Even the game we play is new. It's not only a new script. It's not only a new role. It's not only a new um, uh, identity that we get, but we're given a whole new game. We're given a whole new game to play. What an opportunity that we have in Christ. And so I want to encourage you, if you are still trying to play the old game, if you are still trying to play the game of comparison, if you're still trying to play the game of discovering your identity in, um, in how well you stack up against other people, I want to challenge you to discover that God's given you a new game to play, a game of love a game of grace, a game of, of looking at other people through the lens of Jesus Christ, they too need grace, just like you did. I want to encourage you to look and seek Him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for all the things that you make new. All the things that as we discover you, there is newness, O oh Lord that there's a new script, that there's a new role to play. Lord God, that there is a new identity we have in Christ. But Lord, thank you so much for a whole new game, a whole new game to play. One, Lord, that is so different than what we have been engaged in. And Lord, I pray for anyone right now, God, who's listening, who's been struggling with life, who's been struggling with um, identity, who've been struggling to figure out who they are. And I pray today they would realize that it's not who they are that's important, but Lord, it's whose they are. Lord, that they are your people. And Lord, as they say yes to you today, would you accept them? Would you love them? And would you place your new identity upon them as followers of Christ? Lord, that you would help them to realize that they are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. Lord, that they are an obtainer of mercy. Oh God, I pray that they would understand that they are your people, a people set apart. And God, that that would just be a game changer for them as they say yes to you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.